You are listening to the WPPI Podcast, and I am your host, Elena S. Blair. I am a Seattle-based family and newborn photographer, and I've been in the biz for 13 years. I attended my first WPPI conference 11 years ago, and I can say without a doubt that it changed my art, my business, and my life. I wholeheartedly believe in community over competition and know that I grew my community because of WPPI. We are going to bring you real conversations with industry experts to share their journey, passion, and knowledge with you. And of course, to share their WPPI story. Thank you so much for being here. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, I am so excited to have Kat Ford Coates today, a portrait photographer in Asheville, North Carolina. If you don't know her work, you are about to be very wowed when you wander over to her Instagram account and her website and anywhere that she spends time. Her work is just stunning. Kat is an award-winning photographer and filmmaker, which is pretty cool, accredited fellow master photographer with the Portrait Masters and holds the designation as one of 20 portrait photographers worldwide, which is pretty amazing as well. She specializes in boutique campaign design and development for entrepreneurs, as well as fine art and creative portraiture for individuals and families. Her work is, uh, I just can't wait for you to see it. It has this timeless, classic, beautiful portraiture note to it. And it's just kind of show-stopping, if I do say so myself. She's also a speaker and educator and an official mentor for Portrait Masters um, with Sue Bryce Education. And she photogra- photographs clients worldwide, which is, I think, a lot of people's streams. So I can't wait to hear a little bit more about that. Kat, welcome to the WPPI podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. And what an introduction. It makes me all warm and fuzzy. Your accolades are so long that I could have kept going for like another five minutes explaining all of the amazing <laughs> things that you've done. It's so great to have you here. And I think that, you know, for me as a lifestyle photographer and somebody who photographs only families and newborns, I, I, I'm so curious to hear what it's like to be completely in studio doing this really fine art classic portraiture that you do. So I can't wait to hear a little more about your process. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, it, it's funny because when I'm on the road, I'm typically environmental, right? Like, so we're going to cities with amazing backdrops and everything's on location. But when I'm in Asheville or in Florida or in Arizona, like it's primarily studio driven and it feels like home regardless of where the studio is. Uh, I, I'm also a bit type A, so I like having all that that total control. Yeah, well, that makes, that makes sense. You can see it in your work. Your work is definitely very meticulous. So tell me a little bit about your, about your story. How did you get started as a photographer and end up where you are today? Sure, sure. I actually was in food and beverage for about 12 years, and I was a bartender and a bar manager and just on the hustle and a constant, <laughs> and a constant. Uh, and the same time that I opened my studio, I also opened up a sake brewery. And the the idea was the studio would sort of pay my mortgage and my everyday overhead, and then the sake brewery was going to be retirement. Like that was my my ten x. And then after about three years, we closed the studio, or not the studio, the the brewery. And I was like, uh oh. So I'd been trying to shoot weddings and families and like just throwing spaghetti at the wall. And we closed the brewery. 
And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I am constantly, you know, in this space of, well, I don't have enough time for photography because the Cura, like the Cura is just totally taking all my attention. I was working a hundred hours a week and I came across uh, Sue Bryce on Creative Live with 28 Days and it was the end of the year. They had like a Black Friday sale or something and I was like, okay, screw it. I'm going to do it. This woman is doing what I want. She's serving the people that I want to be serving like... I've got to figure it out. And she's got the model. And so I I bought the course. I overdrafted my checking account by like 35 bucks because that's what every, you know, <laughs> great business owner does, right? Um, <laughs> and like everything shifted. Like, and don't get me wrong, like it, it wasn't an overnight, like amazing, wonderful, great thing. Like I had a lot of work to do. But coming from, you know, the space of food and bev and slinging booze, like I knew I didn't want to be that 50-year-old bartender. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't get a job, you know, in food and bev anymore. I was too old. Nobody would touch me. And I was 35. Yeah, like just being able to to dive in and focus 100% on portrait. Like all of a sudden my portrait sales started out earning my weddings. And I was like, well, wait, I don't have to do burpees for 12 hours and I could make the same amount of money. This is awesome. Uh, And that's sort of where it all kind of started, right? Was just like, I got to shoot what I wanted with the people that I wanted to photograph and people trusted me enough to, to make art with them and stumble along the way. Like, it's it's really humbling when you take a look at your earlier work and you're like, oh my God, somebody paid me for that. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we all have those. Right? We, and, yeah. and by the way, that's important. That's an important stage of the process. You know, you have to accept money for something that maybe isn't your best your best work. You're still learning, yeah. but that's all that's all part of the process. You talked you talked about a couple things that I want to touch on. And one being that a door closed for you, basically you know, that mm-hmm. you're the, the brewery and, you know, it was almost like you were forced to jump off the cliff, so to speak. And I think that during COVID, which we're all, you know, coming off the heels of that, I found in my community that it was, even though such a scary thing for a lot of people to lose their jobs or to suddenly have all this free time. But when that time was freed up, they were able to jump in to this creative endeavor mm-hmm. and find success in it. And it's like, that's that, you know, there's quotes about this anywhere all over the internet, right? One door closes, but it's also about that time piece. You're like, well, now I actually have the time to work on that. So, and actually make your dreams a reality. Yeah, that's really cool. And then the other thing I want about, so I I guess I just, is there anything else you'd like to say about that? Was that sort of, am I getting it correct that you were just kind of like, well, I'm going to do this because I've been, you know, putting it off and now I have this reason to jump right in. Well, it was one of those like do or die situations, right? Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, Kat, you can go and get a job and find something, be a restaurant manager at a large chain or or something like that. Because I had the, you know, 12 years of of history, like certainly there were other options. Uh, But I knew that I wanted to be living life on my terms and, you know, like that that's not a thing that I saw as like, that wasn't a path that was available to me if I went back into food and Bev and I wanted to bet on myself for the first time in my life, you know, Mm. 
that went a long way. It was like, I'm, but I'm not averse to risk either. I'm the person that's just like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. And then figure it out on the way off the cliff, you know, like, well, you're going to figure out how to fly or you're going to just not. And uh, you get to choose. My brother-in-law is a super uh, talented entrepreneur. And he says that those that are the most successful are those that are willing to bet on themselves. And you said that exactly. And I think it's, there's so much truth to that. You have to be you have to be willing to do it. It's it's a brave thing though to do it. <laughs> but I think there's a lot of sure. truth to that. I agree. I would like to meet him. <laughs> <laughs> the other piece that I think would be really um that I want you to talk about a little bit more that I think would be really valuable is you know you're doing weddings and I think if you if you're a wedding photographer and you love weddings and you're listening to this like yes, you should be doing weddings. There are people who say that is there, you know, they live and breathe it. But there are a lot of us that think that in order to be successful as a photographer, that we have to do weddings. And Mm -hmm. you found that, A, that was misaligned, that wasn't what you actually wanted to be doing, and B, that you could make more money as a portrait photographer, which I do think is going to blow a lot of people's minds. So can you speak a little bit more to that? Sure, sure. When I came into the the photo space originally... I'm just going to give you a little more of my my villain origin story. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> uh, <it laughs> we was want in it. like 1998, right? In 1998, I was taking a black and white film class in college. And I was, you know, 21, 22, something like that. And I remember being in the darkroom and, you know, developing this work and being like, man, this would be such a cool thing to do for a living. Because I think at the time I was working at, at like a pizza hut and I felt it like in my heart, like, God, this would be so cool. But I didn't see a way forward. And I was like, oh, well. And like went back and went to waitress my lunch buffet and, you know, life went on. And so when I came into photo, you know, 10 years ago, I was like, well, that's how you make money. You make money doing weddings. And I'm pretty, you know, fast on my feet. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I, you know, second shot for another photographer here locally. We had a lot of fun, super fun guy, huge, huge wedding foothold in Western North Carolina. And I worked with him and then I started taking on my own weddings and all of the things. And I was like, man, this is a lot of work. Like, you know, most people are booking like six to 12 hours or I would have to like offer a higher hour package to get them to buy that middle package, you know, like that wheel and deal piece. Not to mention all of the editing because that early in my career, I thought everything had to be like fine art edited for every image. You know, I didn't understand batch editing or any of that. So I'm spending like 60 hours just on the edit, plus the wedding, plus the communication, plus all of the things. And I was getting like, $1,500. $1,500. I think $2,200 was my highest sale as a wedding photographer. When you work that out, it's like it's like minimum wage. It's like less than minimum wage. <laughs> yeah. Less than minimum right. wage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I started studying Sue's portrait system model and like everything changed. You know, I can get through a session in four hours with hair and makeup. And, you know, this was early on. And yeah, I was having fun editing, but like, start to finish was like maybe 10 hour investment versus, you know, what I was doing for weddings. And I was like, wait, so somebody just paid me $2,000. Oh, 
okay. So I was like, all right, let's stop. Let's raise the wedding prices, right? Let's raise those and see what happens. And, you know, a few people booked at like the higher wedding rate or whatever, which at the time was like $2,200. And, but I was getting more and more traction and more volume with the portrait. And I was just like, yeah, screw this. I'm, I don't have a love for it. Like, it's fun. I like enjoy being around other people, but like, that's so much work. God, yeah. All the wedding photographers in the world, like, I give it up for you, like, in a big way, because it's not something that I could ever figure out how to do sustainably. Well, the ones that I know, I have a couple of really good friends that are wedding photographers. They, you know, we all, it's a kind of like how someone starts as a photographer that's charging a hundred dollars. Well, a wedding photographer, when you start charging those lower prices, a thousand or 2000, it's not sustainable. The ones that are still photographers now are charging 8,000 plus per wedding and getting Mm -hmm. it too, by the way. So if you're listening, that's possible in our industry. It is very much a very, something that's doable. But I think that if you're going to be a wedding photographer, you have to get up to that luxury price or it just is not going to be sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and I'm, this is just me being curious. I'm looking at your portfolio right now, which is stunning, by the way. Tell me about, and I, this is a, a true curious question. I know Sue Bryce, obviously, and I know her education. And this is something mm-hmm. that I would ask her. I've never asked her this either. How do you have a steady stream of, and I know you do do some commercial work, so that's a little bit different, but of folks coming in and wanting this type of portraiture of themselves? Because it's almost like you know, you're mostly taking a photo of one person, what I'm noticing here. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that? How do you get that steady stream? Because I feel like for for me, like as a family photographer, like that's kind of obvious. Like people want family photos or a wedding photographer, people want their wedding photographed. But this portrait, how do you, how do you market that? I mean, that's probably a loaded question, but. No, no. Like, and it's, it's, it's absolutely valid, you know, and I, I teach on this with my, my mentees a lot. They're like, but I just want one person and I just want fine art and like all of this. One of the things I learned from Sue, and this was several years ago, she said, give people a reason to do business with you. You know, wedding photographers, because there's a wedding coming up, they've picked a date, like, people call around to wedding photographers to say how much. And you're like, well, let's see if we're available, right? But portrait is this, I'll get to it one day thing, always, is when I lose weight, when this occurs, when I get to this whatever, there's always like a a reason to push it off. Um, And so I just decided after, you know, like that really resonated when Sue told me that. And so I just started creating marketing campaigns based on that reason, right? Are they over 40? Is it a boudoir campaign? You know, I would focus on a specific demographic that I wanted to create work for, and I would put a deadline on the marketing for that promotion. So you can call me at any time and pay full price, or you can get in on this promotion, sign a model release, and that model release, you know, allows me to share your images. And then gets you in the door during the time in which I want to photograph for that project. And those projects can be really wide. Like I, one really successful one that we did year after year up until the pandemic was uh, Come As You Are. So it was like no hair and makeup, no fluff, just how do you want to be seen? How do you want to be remembered? And come be a part of this thing. But then others are, you know, really hyper niching down into those demographics. But that's usually the way that 
that we really kind of keep the the steady stream in addition to just brand awareness ads that, you know, just cast a wider net to keep the name in front of people. And I love your tagline is um, be unforgettable, which, mm-hmm. you know, I think all of the things that you were saying, especially this 40 over 40 thing, I just turned 40. So I, I, I feel this where it's like, our society values, you know, or what, at least what we see, what we're getting spoon fed on social media and any kind of media, this like, you know, unrealistic expectation that we shall not mm-hmm. get older. And I think that you have, it just, you hit the nail on the head there where you're like, I see you. This is, I'm going to niche into this very important demographic and I'm going to make that my thing, which I think is so cool and so empowering for these people as well. Thank you. Yeah. And it's interesting, like in the, in the portrait space, you know, over 40 campaigns are, are fairly popular, but the, the thing that I loved about it is I think I was maybe 41, I'm 46 now. So I remember like I was looking through a local magazine cause I just sort of scour magazines pretty regularly. And this local magazine, it wasn't, you know, like Cosmo or Vanity Fair or Vogue or anything. It was just like a local, here are local articles written by women. And then, you know, seeing all of these ads play through. And there were like three or four different medical spas here in Western North Carolina that were all like promoting their their Dysport or their Juvederm or, you know, insert youth here. Yes. And mm-hmm. every <laughs> single one of them. Now, the target market for this magazine is women over 40 right? So it's women in business that are maybe going into a second career or, you know, but like not a 22-year-old general public, right? This market is just marketed to women over 40. And every single one of those ads for those medical spas were showing me 20-year-old women, like with their hair pulled back and fresh-faced and, you know, like milk splashes and all of the things. But then all of the copy was geared toward, you know, women over 40, like youthful glow and be younger and all of this. And I like threw the magazine across my porch and was like, what the hell is this? And so I then reached out to every single one of the medical spas and was like, I would love to partner with you. How do you reward your clients? <laughs> ah, right? Brilliant. That is called guerrilla marketing. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, that's I, I, Vanessa and I talked about that in our in our conversation. Guerrilla marketing is undervalued in this day and age because of social media. Everyone thinks that we have to only market ourselves online. It's like no, the old fashioned like going in and actually partnering with somebody in your area mm-hmm. still works. <laughs> Absolutely. But one thing that I really I'm, I'm again I'm looking at your work in real time. So when you listen to this podcast, I encourage everybody to go to her website and check it out. But one of the things that I'm really loving about your work as well, and it's kind of speaking to what you're saying, is that you're not over-editing these women. And sometimes it's, you know, I get, we all have our own style, and so that's fine. And every there is a market for everyone. But sometimes it's like, we do have pores and, you know, texture to our mm-hmm. skin. Like, that's okay. And some of our, you know, the more modern work is super edited, so smooth that people look like dolls and your work does not look like that. It's beautiful. I really love that about you. You're welcome. It's funny. And I think when, when you're first starting, 
learning how to retouch is like a big deal. I remember being like, I love retouching. And I would spend like one, two, three hours on like a single image. And now if we're talking about, you know, award submissions and getting everything to perfection, sure. Right. But generally speaking, one of the things that I've discovered probably in like the last maybe two, two and a half years is less is more when it comes to retouching. You know, I'm not blasting frequency separation six ways to Sunday over somebody's face and certainly not if, you know, they're over 35. And appreciating that balance, I think has been very transformative for my clients because they see the the crow's feet, right? They see the the skin maybe isn't quite as firm as it was 20 years ago, right? But they're also seeing themselves as they are in a beautiful way with a loving, a loving lens that allows them to take that in and and see themselves see themselves in a loving way instead of looking in the mirror and picking ourselves apart because we're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of being like, oh man, I should have gotten some more sleep, you know. But this allows you to see those imperfections and be like, God, I'm still beautiful anyway. That's awesome. Yeah. Ugh, that's. I mean. Talk about a very important and well-rooted why, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. It's just, it's awesome. So another thing I I think is incredible about your story and what I'm learning about you is all of the traveling that you do for for your work. Um, How did you get going on that? And what does that even look like now? Are you really, I mean, are you on the road quite a bit? Oh, I'm on the road a lot. Um, (laughs) but I love it. I love traveling. And in 2016, yeah, Sue Bryce decided that she was going to host a workshop in Paris. And I had been, you know, studying under Sue at that point for about a year. And, you know, my work had gone from an average sale of like $200 to you know, $1,700. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go to Paris. And then I was in Paris and I was like, wait, this could be a thing. Like epic locations, epic wardrobe. Like what if we started like kind of marketing this? And you want to talk about hyper niching. Destination is definitely, that's, that's a way to do it. But I started marketing it and then I started getting people reaching out. Like I work with uh, a woman who owns a television network and she's based out of Arizona. So when we get together, we go to New York and we go to Las Vegas and it's a whole production team. But it started from just going to that workshop. And there were definitely several trips where I went and it was not in the black at all, right? Like, okay, it cost me $800 for this flight and then the hotel was another $2,000 and then, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And then I was portfolio building in terrific places, right? Because in order to sell something, you have to have a portfolio that you love in order to market with it. So like I went to Barcelona and, you know, didn't earn a dime, but got some really crazy stuff. And then went to Italy and Venice and, you know, like you do all of these things. But after about, I would say a year and a half of just taking advantage of opportunities where I was going to places for other things with people that I loved already, right? Then I was able to create a body of work. And once I sort of shifted gears and turned it into like campaign development for entrepreneurs, that's really when, you know, we we hit third gear at Full Tilt. 
And then that's always really exciting. You know, I've been, I've been a lot of places. Tokyo's next though. I haven't been to, to Japan yet. Mm, me either. I would love to go there. Same. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> I need some headshots. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll be your model. Um, but, that, but again, though, one thing that you're, when you're talking about all of this, you're dropping these little nuggets of marketing gold. And anyone who's listening, if you aren't paying attention to that, you should, in that you're saying these things like you have to know who you want to photograph and you need the portfolio of that in order to attract it again. And sometimes mm-hmm. that takes going out and doing that shoot going out and spending some money on investing in yourself, betting in, on yourself and doing that. But also, you know, you're talking about niching in the market that you are breaking into, which you're, you were, you, it's not really necessarily just portraits in these other countries. You're, if I'm getting this correctly, you're doing like branding shoots for entrepreneurs, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like you, you're not just taking portraits. You have this other angle where you're giving these people basically marketing material for themselves probably, right? Am I getting that correctly? Oh, yeah. 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 No, and that's where the environmental portrait kind of comes into play. You know, like, I don't know if it would be considered lifestyle if you're still sort of crafting the recipe or not. Uh, but, I mean, it's really about having the the environment tell the story. You know, so if they're, like, with this particular client, you know, she wants to showcase that she is global, right? She has headquarters in New York City, but she's often in Vegas because Vegas is inspiring to her for, you know, like people built something out of literally nothing in the desert and, Mm -hmm. you know, built this economy that's just, you know, just ridiculous, right? But that's the way that she wants to share that story. So she also has, you know, studio imagery that she can do cutouts with and create those graphics that a lot of studio photographers will use with their clients. But really, at the end of the day, it's that that epic space that allows their target demographics to identify in the success that this client is bringing forward and creating that desire for them, right? And so that's, yes. that's just how we build the storyline for them. Yes. Perfect. That's amazing. Well, I want to um, switch gears and ask you, you know, since this is the WPPI podcast, I want to hear a little bit about your WPPI story. And I first met you at the Portrait Masters Conference. I don't think I've run into you at WPPI yet, so I'm excited to this year. But tell me a little bit about, about how you started going to WPPI and how, what, that, what those earlier experiences were like. Sure. You know, WPPI, I'm actually fairly new blood to. Ah. As I was building my business, I remembered like hearing about WPPI, like I'm in Asheville, so I'm in the same city as like Parker Fister, right? Who who has spoken at WPPI and a lot of the conferences. His work is just oh, so evocative. And I remember being like, ooh, going to conferences is something that photographers do. Okay. You know, like I wonder what <laughs> that's about. Yeah. Um, Yes. Which I think a lot of people can relate to, by the way. If you're listening to this and you're like, wait, do I want to go to a conference? Like, that's a normal thought process to think, like, do I need to do this? (laughs) I remember that. Yes, absolutely. Like, is this, Mm -hmm. I'm taking time away from clients. Are we sure I need to do this? And the answer is yes. Yes. Uh, And I was first really like 
invited to WPPI outside of, you know, just the I'm a photographer, I should go piece. Uh, Sarai Taylor Roman and Kitty McNeil were in the print comp side of things. Like Kitty was a proctor regularly every year and Sarai was doing print handling and they called me and they were like, you have got to come do this. We were really focused on, you know, award submissions and becoming accredited. And as a two-time college dropout, like I was like, no, accreditation is a thing. I've got to elevate my work. I've got to get better. And they were both like, no, print handling is going to be the way that you can actually see. You're in the room with the judges all day long. You get to see those prints up close and personal. And I was like, okay. And I came and I was just like, totally taken aback. Just, oh, this is why people come to this. Right. And not just like the print piece, but also the connection. I was watching, you know, superstars and people who were just like me getting together and connecting and hugging and all of the things uh, because they had relationships with these people that, you know, you just kind of dream about online, right? Like, oh my God, oh my God. And then everybody's having such an amazing time. Then I started meeting the the reps, you know, at the vendors uh, and realized that now all of a sudden I have like a personal connection with somebody that I do business with regularly. And that was a really like big aha moment for me. And so that, from that point, I was like, never looked back. Uh, so even over the pandemic, you know, the portrait system asked me to go and represent the portrait system at WPPI with a shooting bay and an assistant. And, you know, like it was in the middle of the pandemic. So like, we weren't really sure what was happening. So we were, you know, hyper aware of masking up and being as safe as possible and wiping down every trigger after every shot and, you know, all of the things. Right. But that's when I was like, no, this is, this is home for me being able to to show up and be in that space and help support the people who were who were brave enough to come out for it because they wanted to be part of a larger community and that is that's a big deal for me community is goes a long way yeah you hit all of the i think all of the parts that i agree with about why it's so special and i think there's just you cannot replace that in person experience you really can't. And I, you know, those that have been doing this longer and that maybe seem like rock stars, you know, we, we I think we use that term a lot, rock star photographer or whatever, the influential photographers, you, sh- you show up to WPPI and you're like, okay, I've been admiring this person for 10 years. They seemed like this, you know, this superstar. And here they are at this event that I can go shake their hand. I can ask them questions. I can hear them speak their truths and hear them, uh, you know, educate for a very reasonable price, by the way, to be able to hear some of these people speak Mm -hmm. on a stage about something that you are going to leave with value. It's all just like mind blowing, really. I think, I think anyway, I know, and I feel like you kind of feel that way as well. And I think when you, when you attend your first one, you'll know because it's it's hard to explain until you actually experience it. You're absolutely right. Community, heart speak, it's it's my it's my happy place. Mm-hmm. The vendor piece is really, I think, something that people don't understand how valuable that is too. Like if you know the person that is behind your lab or you have a contact at your album company or you get to talk to the folks at, I'm a Canon photographer and I get to meet people that if I'm having an issue or if I'm thinking about upgrading, I can literally email or text someone. Like That is invaluable. 
and you cannot replace that either. And that's that only happens at conferences. It definitely is a huge bonus to be able to develop those like relationships, put a face to the name, right? I know that, you know, Graphy is is one of my suppliers and I use them, you know, religiously. And I know if I have an issue, I can ping Maureen Nieces immediately and she's going to get right back to me because she knows me. And uh, I think that's that's really valuable as a business owner to be able to have the opportunity to even build relationships. And, you know, I get to see the new stuff on the floor before it even hits mm-hmm. anywhere else. And that's always really exciting too, because when you can bring on something new that's inspiring for you, like that's, that's a pretty big deal, especially if nobody else is offering it in your market. Totally. And that's, it's like, uh, photographers in a candy store, right? There's just, (laughs) there's so many cool things that you can touch and check out and experience. It's just so much fun. So much fun. Well, I guess I would love to know what, what are you going to be teaching this year? Do you have that figured out? Do you know? So I am actually giving a talk on bringing your portrait vision and making it real, uh, which is really exciting for me. You know, I, I coach with Superice Education on the 12-month startup. And so that startup space is always really exciting. But actually going through actionable steps for people to, to implement right away that can allow them to solidify what it is that they want for their lives. Like moving into the, the photo space from a business perspective is exciting, but it can also be really scary and really lonely and being able to to provide that path so it's clear for people to see how to move forward is uh it lights me up it lights me up in a pretty big way mm, i agree i agree i love seeing people realize that this can be sustainable and profitable and helping them get there it sounds like you do too and i think that we do it alone and we don't realize that there are all these tools out there, all of these resources, these these classes and these education opportunities to help you skip some of the mistakes <laughs> that mm-hmm. that a lot of us made in the beginning. And so that uh, sounds like a very, very action actionable class. I'm excited to I'm excited to see it. I'm gonna try to drop in. <laughs> Ooh, that would be awesome. I'd love to have you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. As a speaker, I love dropping into classes. I just think there's always so much more to learn, always so many different angles you can take. And that's one of the best parts of a conference. You get a little bite-sized, you know, inspiration, but also tips and things that you can actually use in your business. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been amazing. I have some questions. I have four questions that I want to ask you that I, I try to ask everybody at the end of our time together. And the first one, I think it's kind of a loaded question, but what can't you live without in your photography business if you had to pick one thing? I know that's a hard one. Uh, what can I live without? You know what? My calendar. I cannot live without my calendar. And that's not like coming from a space of like, I'm chained to this thing. I'm in a very intimate relationship with my calendar. (laughs) And I worked for years, like just trying to keep things in my head. And as I got busier and the business, you know, was scaling and growing, I was dropping balls left and right. 
and clients were falling through the cracks and I was losing business because of it. And it wasn't until I started giving myself boundaries and holding myself accountable to the calendar that I created that I was able to actually show up at full power whether it was for a client or for an interview or for writing or, you know what, for my dogs, you know, like, Mm -hmm. ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So my calendar would be the answer. You're the first person who has said that, but it's so true. And I uh, was telling my producer for this podcast, actually, I was like, I live and die by my calendar. If you want me somewhere, I'll be there if you send me the calendar update and Mm -hmm. it's on my calendar. Because if it's not, I might forget. I get so much going on. Poor kids. It's insane. So I love that you said that. And you're the first person who has. And it's such an important piece. We can't keep it in our heads. (laughs) No. It's unrealistic. Just stop trying. Stop trying. Yeah. You will fail at that one. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. My next question is, what would you say to someone? If you could give someone a little piece of advice who's just starting their journey, what would you tell them? Hmm. Gosh, there are a lot of things I would tell them. (laughs) I know. But if you had to say like, okay, it's got this nugget of information. I'm going to give this to you right now. Probably define who it is you want to work with. You know, know them backwards and forwards, upside down and right side up, where they congregate, what they love, what their pain points are, know them as well as you know yourself or your spouse or your partner. Uh, Because the sooner you can dial in on who it is that you want to be serving, the faster you will magnetize them to you. Mm, Mic drop. Perfect. Such good advice. All right. (laughs) Next, The next um, question, we've sort of touched on this throughout the conversation, but we all know, I think those of us who have found success in our industry, I think know that you need a community supporting you to survive. You really need Mm -hmm. it. And I want you to tell me a little bit about your community and how you have cultivated it. So my community is primarily through the portrait system. You know, Having Sue Bryce as a mentor is absolutely a a blessing. And my closest, closest, closest friends are people that have been on that journey with me. You know, like Sarai and I, we met at a masterclass broadcast at Sue's studio in 2017. And she says often, uh, iron sharpens iron. So when you find that, that person that you jive with, whether it's at a conference or in a class or somebody that's on this journey with you, you want to be in that space with them so that you can continue to challenge one another and continue to elevate. Because here's the thing, entrepreneurship can be really isolating. And when you're, humans are not meant to be isolated. Humans are tribal creatures. And when you find your people, like you know it immediately, like, oh, Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, and that is valuable and it needs to be honored so that you can continue to elevate yourself while walking on that path with somebody else. Now, does that mean you have to do everything together? Of course not. You could be living across the country from one another, but having that person you can check in with and bounce ideas off of and talk about the uncomfortable conversations about business or the really confusing and complicated ones, you know, like that's worth double its weight in gold. So building your community by, you know, connecting with people that are where you are or even a little ahead of you so that you can continue to grow as a person, like that is your community. And uh, 
I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm-hmm. It'll change everything once you get a community. It really will. Perfect. Mm-hmm. All right. And finally, why should someone come to WPPI this year? Oh my gosh. Like you said it yourself earlier, like we're coming off the heels of this pandemic and we've all been so isolated for three years. Uh, and I feel like WPPI is the the perfect opportunity to reintroduce yourself into a community. You will find it. If you are a for- photographer, then you are going to find home at WPPI in some way, shape or another. Uh, you know, Let's blow the dust off of everything and start embracing that connection because we're all photographers because that's how we connect with other people. What better way to celebrate that than to show up and celebrate it, right? Like WPPI is is home. Perfect. Well, I cannot wait to connect with you at WPPI, which is going to be here before we know it. I feel like when I was at the Portrait Masters, I was definitely the new kid at school and was (laughs) super nervous and intimidated by all of you rock stars um, that were also speaking. So I'm excited to maybe not be so nervous at WPPI and and, uh, hug all of you and just get to know you all so much better. I cannot wait. Oh my gosh, I can't even wait. And I'm going to give you a giant (laughs) hug. All right. Well, thank you so much. You um, Let everybody know who's listening where they can find you. Where, where should they check you out? Where would you like them to go? Absolutely. Uh, you can find me online at catfordcoats.com and that will link you out to coaching or into my studio's website on Instagram. That's the studio takeover or Atelier Unforgettable for those of you who can spelled in French. Um, (laughs) uh, But primarily, you can also catch me on the portrait system every Tuesday in the members group or the first Tuesday of the month uh, teaching the 12-month startup. So if you're looking for those those actionable steps to move forward, uh, the 12-month startup is a great place to be. And the community in the portrait system members group is unparalleled anywhere else online. Uh, So yeah, please do connect. I'd love to. Nice. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to see you. And it's been such a great conversation. I know that everyone is going to walk away with so many valuable tips. And like I said, if you were listening, she was dropping some serious marketing knowledge here and like just leaving little little golden nuggets for you. So I hope that you were paying attention and definitely check out um, Kat at WPPI this year when you attend. It's so great talking to you today. Thanks, Elena. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening to the WPPI podcast. We will be releasing new episodes every single Wednesday. So make sure that you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to tune in so you never miss an episode. See you soon.